0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. In the Dirt tackles the latest news from the gravel world and questions and feedback from you, the listener. Speaking of you, the listener, thanks so much to everybody who's been contributing to the podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash ride. I've introduced a few new perks and opportunities over there, so go check it out. It means a lot to get your feedback and financial support for what we're doing on a weekly basis. And if you're looking for other ways to help out, ratings and reviews are hugely helpful in the podcast game, so I truly appreciate that effort. With that business out of the way, let's dive right in. Randall, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Craig? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I was stoked after our last conversation, I got a bunch of listener emails and voicemails to kind of go through, so the conversation was resonating.
1: Oh, excellent. Um, let's hear it. I'm curious to hear what people's feedback was.
0: Yeah, well, one thing is that I should be ashamed of my fren- French pronunciation. I was saying <laughs> Rene Hearst when I should be saying Rene Herse." Oh, I took, wow. I took high school French, so I really should have been nailing that. But on a better note, you know, there was some back and forth over email with some listeners who were like, hey, I'm not exactly sure that Randall's summary of 650 is better is necessarily the conclusion of that blog post that mm-hmm. we referenced. Um, so that was kind of cool and interesting.
1: Yeah, I love, uh, I love to see some of the specifics of the arguments because it's definitely like this multivariate uh, optimization function you know, trying to discern, determine what is right for your particular body and fit and how you ride and so on. I definitely have a point of view. Uh, but but it's, it's not as cut and dry as do this.
0: Yeah, totally. And the other interesting thing was a question that came up around, well, why not 29er wheels and a whole bunch of other things that I've got some good news is that I have talked to the owner of Rene Ers, trying to get that right. Jan Rene, the, the, the author of that blog post. And we're just fiddling around with getting the schedule to get him with a full interview um, in the coming episode. So we'll, we'll hear right from one horse's mouth and hopefully give the multiple listeners that have emailed me about wheel sizes and tire sizes, just a little bit different perspective on that part of the sport. Yeah. Awesome. I'll be looking forward to that interview as well. I might send some questions your way. <laughs> Perfect. And again, for anybody out there listening, we definitely want to hear from you. We love the questions. We've got a voicemail line at 415 843 1701, or you can hit us up on email or on social media. So, for this week, man, you know, what's been on my mind is uh, I caught some pictures of the Envy Builder Roundup which was like a mini NABs session, which was super cool. I don't know about you and for the listener, but I just love looking at hand-built bikes. I love seeing the different builders' perspectives on what a bike should look like and feel like.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking through this gallery from that link you posted from Gravel Cyclist, and uh, there are some, some stunning machines on here. And just the, the attention to detail and some of the different points of view on what makes a good bike is really cool to see.
0: Yeah, there were some familiar builders for me there, but also some others. I mean, we had bikes from Horse out of Brooklyn, Vanilla, I think they're out of Portland, Bingham, Firefly, Sklar, one of my favorites in up in Napa, Retro Tech, Salt Air, Breadwinner. And the one that captured my attention, and it was, I got to admit, it was mainly due to the paint job more so than the, the style or type of bike it was, but um, Pursuit Cycles by Carl Strong out in Bozeman, Montana. He had a bike with a, a Sex Pistols paint job that was just off the charts gorgeous
1: wait is this this uh, black and silver one here
0: no it's uh kind of yellow and orange oh geez okay
1: yeah that that
0: one's obvious yeah it's um, kind of like a riff on the, the i think it's the nevermind the bullocks uh album from the sex pistols which um as a, a a son of british parents you know i had to have a little fandom of that's a that's a gorgeous machine yeah, really but it was cool. a lot of fun. I mean, I like I mean, we all missed the the handmade bike show happening this year. So it was cool that Envy was able to do this virtual roundup and, and just give us some some bike porn to look at.
1: Mm. Yeah, it was actually something I really enjoyed last year. You and I drove up together and got to hang out with a lot of the builders
0: and so on. That's right. That's right. I mean it's a you know, it's an interesting journey to arrive at the point where you need a custom bike. I myself have arrived there once on the road and I got a, a bike built for me by Brent Steelman, who's a, a Bay area builder. And it, you know, it was an amazing journey just to sort of invest the time and energy to collaborate about what I was looking for at that moment in time for a bike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, eventually eight weeks later or 12 weeks later to get this bike that I felt like I had a hand in designing. Have you mm-hmm. ever done anything like that?
1: Um, I, I have done it, but as like a product manager at a big company. Um, but, but then that, that bicycle would, would reflect my point of view. And obviously I've done it with what I am you know, working on right now, but I've never done the the one-on-one custom builder metal frame uh, sort of project. I actually have one in the works. So I'm working on an aluminum frame. And so in a way that would be like, it's the bike I've been building for myself and my friends. Uh, so that'll be the first time I really go like, Deep in the weeds on on a bike like that, and then be tweaking, go through some iterations. So it'd be yeah, fun. but interesting. But
0: yeah. One of the things they highlighted from Envy, who's a composites manufacturer that many people probably know, doing wheels and bars and all that kind of stuff, is they did introduce this adventure fork with a flip chip. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. So a flip chip is a way of of changing kind of where the axle goes through the fork, and. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I just want to get your perspective on that. What's that all about? Well, so flip chips are nothing new, um, but I think what Envy has done
1: here is much more along the lines of, of uh, like creating a, a machine that, that behaves in, a, in very different ways because they've changed not only the rake and, and or offset, but also the ride height. And so you have a fork where in one position, it sits low with forty four uh, sorry, 49 millimeters of rake and then it sits uh, higher with uh, 55.5 millimeters of brake. So the, the ride height changes eight millimeters. So that's so, interesting. Um, so
0: sorry to interrupt, Randall. I just want to yeah. drill in on that for a second. So I've seen flip chip forks where the chip movement seems to be horizontal. And I did notice in this one that it it is in a different vertical and horizontal plane. Is that what you're referring to?
1: Yeah. And if you pay close attention, you can see that the, 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 the path with which the axle is, is changing position, right, is at a perpendicular to the brake caliper. And so you, you, there's a couple of different things you could do with this. On the one hand, you could, um, you know, install the wheel with, uh, like, say you put it in one position with a 160-millimeter uh, rotor. And then you could put it in the other position with that same 160-millimeter rotor and then flip the mounting bracket that comes with all of these flat-mount calipers and the caliper would be in the the right position. Uh, One thing that's not advertised here, but that you could do with this fork, is run uh, two different... I believe you could run two different rotor sizes. You could have like a 160 and a 180, um, and maybe you do a 160 on your road wheel set and a 180 on your gravel wheel set. And when you swap wheels, you also flip the chip, and you end up with two different geometries. So you end up with more weight cantilevered over the front axle um, with a lower ride position um, in your road setup, which is what you want, because you want that planted front front end, so you can because you have a lot of traction up front that you and you want to be able to feel what's happening with the front wheel on the road. On the gravel, you want to be a little bit more upright. You want the front axle a little bit more forward relative to um, where you are on the bars. You want your weight distribution a little bit further back, um, and so you can kind of get the bo- best of both worlds um, with this sort of setup. Now, the specifics will depend on the geometry of the bike that it's going on and this is not a fork that you're just going to slap on any bike and get these benefits because you know the starting ride height is basically the the, the lowest axle the crown position which is the axle to the bottom of the the frame at the head tube like the, the lower bearing um, that the lowest position you can get is essentially what the uh like a fork corrected frame would have as a starting point and so if you put this on a bike that has a lower axle of the crown, you're going to slacken the head angle, the steering's going to get floppy, things like this. Uh, but for a custom builder, it allows a huge amount of like versatility in the same machine if you build the geometry of the
0: frame around a fork like this. Interesting. So it's, it sounds like something that, you know, if you're attracted to that fork for whatever reason, you really want to think long and hard about the geometry of your bike because it, without the specific intention to take advantage of that, you might end up having a, an unintended consequence that's negative.
1: Oh, yeah. This is not a fork that you should throw on any old bike um, without understanding the handling, uh, the, the, the way that it's going to affect handling. But if you're doing a custom build, frankly, if I was doing a custom build today, uh, this fork is not cheap, but I would spend that money because having two bikes is not cheap either. And this fork allows you to essentially turn one bike into two. So, you know, not an inexpensive investment, but uh, something that really radically extends the versatility of a machine if you build the geometry of the frame around it. So definitely, uh, you know, thumbs up from me uh, to Envy there.
0: That's super cool. I mean, I know I've sort of asked you about this before too, about the sort of ramifications of that and what I really should be thinking about and intending to feel when I'm in "quote unquote" road mode versus off-road mode, and it it mm-hmm. the things you've said really make this kind of solution attractive to me because I do want my off-roading to feel off-roady and and have all the advantages of a a great geometry and big tire clearance. But when I when I slap it into road mode, I certainly want to go and and you know knock around with my road buddies.
1: Yeah, and and there's a lot of subtlety to geometry um, as well around say like the ride height of your bike based on the tire size that you put on it. So, you know, if you, everything else is equal on your bike and you run bigger tires, you're going to slow down the handling and you're going to make the bike have a a natural propensity to want to track straight because you'll be increasing the trail figure, which is something we haven't uh, talked about yet. But, um, so you, you can't, uh, there's no, like you put in this thing and it only has one effect it's that you change one one variable in this complex system and, and it has a lot of knock-on effects. Um, but there's, you're right that the way that bikes are now, generally you're stuck with a, a single geometry. Um, and so you try to make that geometry as versatile as possible. And now we're getting into the realm of you can actually change the geometry uh, for different applications. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this type of technology become more and more present in bike design from the ground up.
1: It's uh, getting, getting away from like more bikes. I know that this is not the intention uh, as companies adopt this, but ultimately the, you know, the, the few, the more you can do with fewer bikes, the better in Mm -hmm.
0: my opinion. Yeah. Well, thanks for drilling down on that. I was curious about it. It's like, it's got some cool other features like internal routing for a dyno, Generator mm-hmm. hub, which I thought was cool for an adventure bike, and uh, anyway, for the listener, go check those out. I mean, at minimum, you're going to enjoy the builder gallery, um, and I'll link to that because there's some beautiful bikes out there. And then just check out the fork and think about how it might fit into the future of your vision for your own gravel bike at home. Yeah, yeah. So, what's been on your mind this week, my man?
1: Well, so the thing that I saw in the news uh, was in Bike Radar was talking about. Uh, specialized new tarmac. And there was one that, that's really stuck out for me, which was the Tarmac SRAM Force ETAP Axis 1X. Um, tarmac 7. Uh, there's a mouthful. But anyways <laughs> um, what's interesting here is that it's it's another one by road machine from specialized. Um, they actually started those I think I think they uh, specialized did the first one by either while I was there or shortly thereafter. Um, and I think that one by road, obviously I, I have a strong opinion here. I think one by road makes a ton of sense, especially for the non crit racer, the non, um, you know, hardcore roadie, uh, because a one by can provide the same range. It's simpler interface and all this other stuff. Uh, so this is, uh, this is a step, I think in the, in the right direction, I think the miss here, and this is a, a consequence of what's available is that it only has 360% range And so that's the equivalent of, you know, less than a, say, less than a compact crank set with like an 1126, which is not enough range for most people, right? Most people uh, generally need less top end than that, uh, but a lot more low end. And so I I think you really need like a cassette with, uh, you know, this one's 360%. I think you need at least 400% range for normal people. And I'm a fairly strong rider. I consider myself one of those wanting at least 400%. Uh, so that will be, and that's really a, you can get those parts now. Um, so for example, you could set up a bike with a, a mullet setup and a, an axis, um, mountain bike rear derailleur, and you could make it work just fine with a non-SRAM 1042 or 1044, whatever cassette, but SRAM forces the manufacturers to buy complete groups. They have a, a bundling policy. And so and plus they have a proprietary chain for that group so that's kind of constrains what manufacturers
0: can do. Interesting, you know, we're going to continue to get hate mail talking about one by in this way my my good buddy Jason over at the gravel cyclist I swear he's going to disown his friendship with me between <laughs> advocating for 650b and one by he's about done with me so Jason if you're listening I apologies in advance I know you committed to our friendship regardless of my opinion on one by and 650 but you know it, it is out there so it is it's interesting you know I I turned myself inside out when my bought my my open um because I Really was replacing a road bike at that point, and I felt mm-hmm. like I wanted to have a two-by drivetrain because I felt mm-hmm. like you know in certain road situations where I was out with friends with their beautiful Colnagos or what have you, like I was going to somehow feel limited in my gear range. Two things for me personally happened. One, like I just sort of realized, like. I didn't really care about road riding that much. And if I was (laughs) not geared properly, like I certainly did not want to optimize my life around that. Mm -hmm. And two, I wasn't running a clutch derailleur. So full disclosure on that, but I definitely found that my chain was slapping around a whole hell of a lot. And I just didn't need that in my life. So, you know, when I moved over, I went, I went one by, and I, I haven't been disappointed by that.
1: I actually distinctly remember the first time you and I linked up, And we swapped bikes in the middle of the ride and you had this like chain that was slapping against the stays and you didn't have a dropper post and I didn't have enough low end and you had like 700 by 38s on there or something like that. And I was like, all right. All right. We're going to get this down this steep embankment, but it's not going to be fun. And I might go over the bars.
0: Yeah. And now I'm like wide handlebar, dropper post, suspension, p- suspension stem, yeah. railing it whenever I get the chance. And that, you know, as, as the listener well knows, that's that's my idea of what gravel is all about. And it's it's because what's in my backyard.
1: Well, And one thing I want to throw out, too, that is is cool about one by for gravel is if you have a bike that you're using as your road bike and you run a one by drivetrain, um, you know, one thing people don't think about is you can run different cassettes. And so you can run like a wide range, lower geared cassette for your, your fat tire setup and then a taller, uh, tighter cassette for your road setup. And so like I run a, a 939 on my road wheels. It's a, an E13 cassette, 433% range, plenty of top end. I have as much top end as a, as a road racing bike. And I almost never use that top end. It's basically like an overdrive gear. But then the rest of the time I have, you know, almost one to one. Uh, for climbing up steep stuff, and then on the other cassette, it's a it's a it's a forty six tooth for the low end, so I can get up you know pretty much anything in Marin.
0: When you talk about that percentage number that you're referring to four hundred and thirty three percent, how is that calculated? What are you actually talking about there? So take the
1: the largest cog uh, and the number of teeth of the largest cog, and divide it by the number of teeth of the smallest cog, and that gives you the range. And then you calibrate that range with the chain ring. So. Um, if you're a stronger rider who descends fast and climbs really well, um, you might use a bigger chain ring and, and shift that, that range up. You might also use a tighter cassette if you don't need the low end. But if you're a, uh, you know, a more like slow and steady rider and not a hardcore descender, um, you might use a smaller chain ring. You might use a wide range cassette that is biased towards low end. Um, and maybe you just don't need that top end because when you hit 25 miles an hour, you're off the gas. You're holding on for dear life. Uh, so you know, you being able to calibrate the range for your particular fitness and train is, is a something that's really nice, uh, and that one buy is particularly amenable to.
0: Yeah, that was funny. You mentioned that my, uh, our friends over at the Pace Line Podcast, uh, Celine Yeager and Patrick Brady, they were talking about gravel bikes, and Patrick was talking about how he's definitely not a one by guy because he feels like he kind of runs out of gears. And I I sent him a message. I'm like, you know, if I'm ever going that fast in my off road Riding like it's gonna be a disaster. I'm gonna end up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So like I don't like I just don't. I was saying I just don't feel like I miss it going one by at all.
1: What are you running for a cassette on your road wheel set?
0: Um, I think it's uh, forty two. Ten forty two. You get a SRAM cassette, yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm running a forty two tooth up front and a nine thirty nine in the rear, and so that that forty-two nine is equivalent to a road bike with a 51.11. So that's road bike top end. Um, so, so the 10 tooth is a little bit less. It'd be equivalent to, I think, uh, a road bike with a, an 11, let's see, uh, a, a 47.11. So you might spin out on occasion. Um, try the nine tooth.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, the nine tooth is an overdrive gear and the descending off tam on the road like there's one section where maybe i could push a little bit harder if i had a a, a nine tooth on there not particularly bothered by it but I, I i like the idea of having it there particularly on you know the road wheel set if i'm um if i'm out more road riding so you brought brought up this tarmac the tarmac isn't necessarily a, a gravel bike per se but it, are they affording kind of a little bit wider tire. So it can kind of be an all road bike
1: on that. Um, yes. And that's the general, well, not for the purpose of making it an all road bike, but because the trend on road is towards higher volume tires anyways, uh, because they ride more comfortably and most people are faster on them. Um, you know, they, there was this uh, strict adherence to the doctrine of like narrow tires at high pressures for a long time. And then we all discovered that actually higher volume, lower pressure with an aerodynamically matched rim Uh, Was a was more efficient and more comfortable, and then ten years later, the Pro Piloton actually switched over. (laughs) Um, But uh, the point in bringing this up is not to say like, hey, buy a tarmac and go ride gravel. It's more, buy a gravel bike that has a geometry that's appropriate for both, and with a one by drivetrain, you can have a a like road bikes are adopting one by drivetrains for a reason. Like this is becoming mainstream, and a lot of I think the um, the resistance to it is a lack of, uh, a lack of experience with it, or maybe like a lack of awareness of the variety of different cassette and chain ring combinations that can be used to, to create the range that, that you, you know, really want out of your two by road drive train. And yeah, the jumps will be a, a tiny bit bigger, but not of much consequence to the vast majority of riders, especially people who are using one bike for everything.
0: Yeah, it's a tricky and personal thing. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of just resistance to going to one by for a lot of people. And I understand it. Like, I, I definitely had my head there, but I don't I don't miss two by.
1: I mean, I'm going to bring back the three by eventually.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> Very uh, sort of said, said no one ever.
0: <laughs> uh, oh I think there man. are a few
1: touring cyclists who might might want that.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Well, I guess that brings us to can't let it go, man. And uh this week for me, I, about 10 days ago, this is kind of somber and I kind of hate to bring us down as we were having a good laugh there, but um Mark Sakowitz, one of the founders of SPT Gravel, passed away um just 10 days ago and I got the news on a Sunday morning and word I've received is that he had some sort of cardiac event while out riding and it really saddened me because Mark was just a a very genuine loving guy. I won't profess to know him well, but I have interviewed him on the show before. And when I went out to steamboat last year, he was the kind of guy who, as soon as he sort of connected a face with a name, he wanted to make sure I was taken care of. And he wanted to make sure that Mm -hmm. I got introduced to everybody I needed to meet out there and that I had a great time. And my, perception and seeing him interact with everybody else that weekend was he was equally passionate about making sure everybody had a good time. Mm -hmm. And that event and the work of his co-founders in that event, it kind of showcased his personality. Like he really just wanted everybody to have a good time and a good day out there on the bike. And as the listener knows, I've created some routes for their virtual event here in San Francisco for next weekend. And I want to encourage people to go out there in your neck of the woods and and do a ride for Mark, do a ride for SBT gravel. I'm going to do it. He's going to be sort of sitting heavy in my heart as I, as I plan on going very deep that day. And, and frankly, I'm doing more than I thought I was going to tackle next weekend. I'm going to tackle my own black route, which when I designed it, I deemed way too friggin' hard for me. <laughs> um, but again, I just want to go out and put it out there for Mark and, Um, For those of you interested, there is a foundation that's been created in his name to support youth in Steamboat Springs and just making sure they have the resources to get outside and discover the same love of the outdoors that Mark clearly had. So, um, you know, I'll just leave it as rest in peace, Mark. And, uh, you know, I'll be thinking about you next weekend.
1: It's, it's remarkable how, so I, I've never met Mark um, and I, I, I have minimal kind of knowledge about him specifically, but speaking to the general theme of the people in our community who build community and who create the space for the experiences that we all love and everything I've heard about, about this event and everything I hear um, from people who've interacted with, with this person uh, says that this was, this was someone who is a real community builder. And a real pillar and somebody who helped people uh, connect with this experience we all love. And that's, that's really powerful. Um, and so, you know, touching tribute there to Craig.
0: Yeah. Thank um, you. And how about you, man? What, what can't you let go of this week?
1: Well, so for me, I've, I've been on the closest thing to a vacation I've had since, uh, starting, uh, starting the company. And so, um, you know, I've been pondering like the value of time off the bike and out of one's routines in general, And so sometimes, uh, like I I used to be a racer, and so there was this like obsessive, like I need to put in my miles, Um, this is, you know, this is uh, either it's I have certain goals on the bike, or it's I have a lot of stress in my life, and the bike is how I kind of manage that stress and work through it. And so being able to step away from the bike and everything else um, in, in a big way for a couple of weeks. And uh you know, kind of reflect on like well, what are the patterns in my life, and how do I reset them or or do they need to be reset and just having that that um, that uh, getting out of the person you are when you're just doing what you do because you do it is uh is something really really valuable, and I've found it super enlightening uh, a lot of time reading a lot of time meditating, a lot of time uh, just uh, you know connecting with people I haven't connected with in some time so uh, uh I there will be, I will be back on the bike soon enough, but in the meantime, I'm really appreciating this opportunity to kind of reset my relationship with myself, and then go back to the bike and, and uh, reconnect with the bike as uh, you know in a new way.
0: That's great. Well, I'm glad you have been able to afford yourself that time, and I think it's you know it's important for listeners and everybody to take extra care of themselves right now. We've got 2020 has been a year of just unbearable stress at times for obvious reasons and a lot of personal reasons. So let's take care of ourselves out there.
1: Yeah. There's been, there's been uh, I think I shared with you uh, at, at the, before, when we were speaking before the, the conversation, I've had this, this quote that I've been holding on to these past few days. It's like life will give you whatever experience is most helpful to the evolution of your consciousness. And how do you know this is the experience you need because it's the one that you're having. And so, like, just taking all of these things that are happening, and you know, feeling these the stress and whatever it is, but then being like, yes, and what do I do with this? Yeah. And do I have to be kind of a slave to this feeling, or or can I process it in a in a, in a different way? Uh, but yeah, there's a lot happening in the world, and uh, it's uh, it's in, it's interesting how we all this community unifies around this experience of riding, uh, but ultimately, riding is kind of. Uh, taps into something much deeper. It's an activity we do that taps into
0: something deeper. I think we're all lucky to have it in our lives. So, you know, my recommendation for listeners hit the rewind button about a minute, listen to that quote again, sit on it, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Randall.
1: Yeah, thank you, Craig.
0: See you next time. So that's it for this week's edition of In the Dirt. Thanks for spending some time with us this week. I hope you found the conversation valuable. As always, feel free to shoot us some feedback either directly at craig at via our social media channels, or feel free to leave a voicemail on our call-in line. That's 415-843-1701. We'll be back in your feed next week with one of my long-form interview shows. Until then, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.